uh, insomnia. It's an epidemic of modern society. Up to a third of Australians report having trouble falling asleep or going back to sleep or, or else waking up too early. Uh, life just seems to be getting busier, doesn't it? Uh, emails, social networking, online shopping, online streaming services. We work longer hours with more pressure. Uh, Working from home has its benefits, but the temptation is you never actually separate from your work. Add to that more screen time, more coffee, caffeinated drinks, less exercise. There's all sorts of factors for why our society is having trouble sleeping. Uh, many of those factors, uh, sorry, many of those factors contribute to, to growing levels of anxiety, uh, which then sort of loops back on our, on our sleeplessness. The more we worry, the more we stay awake. Uh, insomnia has a strong connection to depression as well. 50% of those with depression suffer insomnia. And if you have insomnia, you're twice as likely to develop depression later. Uh, lack of sleep is a major problem in our society. Now, there are all sorts of causes, uh, many of them medical, but I want to suggest that sometimes sleeplessness can have a spiritual root. There are sinful attitudes behind it that we need to repent of and that will help our lack of sleep. Uh, many of us find our identity and our value in our work and so we worry. We never switch off, we constantly check emails. Or many of us are people pleasers and there's an idolatry in that. Uh, friends, bosses and parents, we don't want to disappoint them. Uh, we care more about what they think than what God thinks and, and we struggle to, to let go of that, that need. Uh, some of us struggle with idols of possession and possessions and money. And so we worry about our stuff, uh, worry about repairing the roof or selling our shares or upgrading our TV. Uh, often worry and, sleeplessness, uh, worry and sleeplessness are an expression of a lack of faith in God. Uh, they're examples of taking onto yourself the burdens that, that are really God's and, and we need to work out how to uh, get rid of those burdens and lay them at his feet. So I think there's a number of attitudes that uh, we can repent of that might help a lack of sleep. And what we need to do is follow Jesus' advice there in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, notice his connection between our faith and worry, or a lack of faith and worry. He says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear, O you of little faith. The pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Now, isn't that what we do when we're lying awake in bed at night and we can't sleep? We're worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying that when we worry, we are not trusting. And I think often our sleep or our lack of sleep is an expression of our, our trust or our lack of trust in God. So if you can't sleep, I can't help with a medical diagnosis, but I, I can offer a theological solution. Pray. If sleeplessness 
has any connection at all with a lack of faith, then prayer will help. Prayer is an expression of faith. If you find yourself lying in bed staring at the ceiling for hours, can I suggest you try praying? Uh, It works. Before long, you will sleep. Uh, Not because it's like counting sheep. It doesn't work like that. It's praying so boring you'll just fall asleep. That's not what I mean. But praying, you're actually handing over to God the concerns that are preventing you from sleeping. Repent of your sins. Uh, Let go of idols. Hand over your concerns. Let God be God. Find your rest as his helpless, dependent child. You may find that you sleep more soundly. Uh, Now that brings us to Psalm 3. Uh, We all need to learn a lesson from Psalm 3. You may think that you have plenty to keep you awake, but can I suggest King David had far more? And yet for all of his pressures and struggles, he didn't lose sleep. Awake or asleep, he trusted God. Did you notice it there in verse 5? I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. That's near the end, but let's begin at the beginning. It's a little uh, psalm with uh, three sections. Uh, The first couple of verses, section one, describe David's problems. O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Wave after wave, David feels like he's drowning. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Bill after bill task after task, phone call after phone call, demand after demand and and your stress levels rise and you feel like you're drowning. For David it was enemies. Uh, The subheading tells us a little more about his situation when he fled from his son Absalom. That's a tragic story, perhaps you know it, it's in 2 Samuel 15. Absalom, his son, plotted to undermine David's authority as king. He couldn't wait until David died and he could become king. He wanted, he wanted it now. He built up a support base. He was a politician. Verse 6 said he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And so David, the king in Jerusalem, has to flee Jerusalem for, for fear of his life. Absalom assembles a rebel army to chase him down. And in the midst of that situation, he writes this psalm. What a terrible, conflicted situation for David. Under threat from an army that's led by his beloved son. Despite the threat, he actually instructs his army to be gentle on his son. It's worse than if it was just strangers attacking him. But it's not just Absalom. Uh, There are a whole horde of enemies rising up against him. There's something awful, isn't there, about being in the minority of everyone else against you, feeling overwhelmed, feeling alone. Uh, King David feels like that. And they're not just against him, they're against God as well. Verse 2 says... Uh, The enemies say, God will not deliver him. Uh, They're God's enemies as well as David's. And and I think for David, that's salt rubbed into the wound. David's feeling like his only friend is God, and these enemies are tempting him to to abandon God, to to, uh, admit that God is not even interested in him. 
Well, there's the problem. That's our first section, the problem. And notice there at the end of, the, of verse 2, this little word, selah. Uh, it's Hebrew. No one really knows what it means. Uh, it's scattered through, uh, all, uh, through the Psalms. And, and this is the first place it appears. Now, interestingly, I don't know what this means, it's only found in Psalms that can be broken up into three obvious sections. There you go. Three obvious sections are the only Psalms that have Selah in them. And and I guess this one can as well. The problem, God, the solution. Selah, it probably means something like musical interlude. You know, um, music has certain Italian words, forte, piano... Um, and Selah, that's another one. Uh, modern translation might be something like lead guitar solo, you know, 12 bars of lead guitar solo. Now, and, and from what we can work out, while the instruments play, uh, it's an opportunity for those who are singing the song to reflect, to reflect on uh, what they've just sung about, uh, what's been in the section immediately before, to, to meditate on it, to dwell on it, to sit with it. In this case, the terrible situation that David's in, outnumbered and threatened. Is that you? Well, we come to the second section, but you, Lord. But you, it's the little phrase that changes everything. David's in a hopeless situation, many enemies around, but you. God makes the difference. Look at verse 3, but you are a shield around me. O Lord, you bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Exactly the opposite of what the foes taunted. They said God doesn't hear, but he does hear. He is interested. Many enemies attack, but God is a shield. He's protecting David on every side. Emotional, physical and spiritual well-being, God shields him. Personal, family, community relationships, he's shielded. Work, study, church commitments, he's shielded. Health, relationships, finances, he's shielded. The second part of verse 3 says literally, my glory, the lifter of my head. My glory, David's personal God in the best sense of that, my glory. Now, David could mean by that little phrase that God restores uh, David's own glory, restores his recognition. But I wonder if David's not thinking about glory in terms of God's presence with him. In the same way that God's glory cloud led Israel through the wilderness uh, out uh, out of Egypt. Uh, He's David's personal presence. Uh, He's also described as the lifter of David's head. It's a bit of a strange expression. It could mean that he restores David's honour. But I wonder if it's... There's another idea I quite like. The the, the context is that David sleeps. And I wonder if David's not thinking of uh, God is gently supporting David's head. He's, it's like God's hand is David's pillow, protecting and comforting him, the supporter of David's head. Uh, 
How does God do that? Well, the solution is a little like the problem. Uh, Verse 4, the enemies spoke their insults, and so the solution is that David will speak. Uh, But instead of responding to the insults, he speaks his prayer, he cries to Yahweh. And that's the right direction for our response. Our, Our direction is not to abuse those who abuse us, but to direct our words to God. And then, more speech, God speaks out his answer. God answers from his holy hill. Uh, His holy hill is where his temple is. His temple represents his throne. God is speaking with his kingly authority as creator and sustainer and judge. The one who speaks and his words have self-authenticating power. He speaks and it happens. He speaks and the prayer is answered. And we come to the second Selah. Dividing parts two and three. And so we're encouraged as the instruments play to stop and consider God who is like that. Intimate, caring, protecting. God who is my glory, my personal presence. God whose hand supports my head like a pillow. The mighty king who speaks from his throne with power. Now, if David can be comforted by a God he knows like that, how how much more should we be comforted who can see God much more clearly, who can see his power much more clearly in the Lord Jesus, who can see his love and his comfort much more clearly? Selah. And so we move on to the solution, verses 5 to 8. David's prayed, he's reminded himself of God's character and his care. And look at what happens, verse 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Uh, The I is emphatic. Uh, For my part, I lie down and I hand it over to God. It contrasts with the start of the last section, which began, but you, God. But me, God is the second section, but but for, for, for my part, Uh, I'll do the lying down. (laughs) That's not much of a part really, is it? I'll do the lying down. When I've done my part, when I've prayed and handed it over to God, I sleep. It's the sleep of humble dependence, the sleep of contentment and peace. While I sleep, I'm helpless. Enemies are prowling. They're looking for an opportunity to do me harm. God's not just looking after David's peace of mind, though. He's not just looking after him so that he can sleep. He looks after him while he sleeps. Uh, David wakes in the morning. He's not murdered in his bed. Uh, God has looked after him. Uh, David recognises that that's all of God. He wakes in the morning because the Lord sustains me. I don't know whether you've ever really thought theologically about sleep. Uh, Why does... God design us this way so that we need sleep. After all, just imagine how much more efficient you could be if we didn't have to sleep, if we could just work or do whatever we wanted to do all day and all night. But I wonder if that's not the point, that God designed us to sleep to help us recognise that we're helpless and limited and frail. And and by going to sleep each night, there's there's an acknowledgement that I'm not in charge. 
You're in charge, God. Uh, we need uh, re-energising, but we also need his protection. We need his power. Uh, there are some things when we are not in control. You have to leave things to God when you sleep. So can I suggest rejoicing in sleep? Most of us do. <laughs> yes, sleep. But rejoice in it as an expression of thanks to God. Uh, as you sleep, you're trusting him. And so David wakes in the morning, verse 6, and as he heads out into his day, he's outnumbered, but he won't fear. The same God who protected him at night while he slept will keep him safe against the tens of thousands who threaten him. And as he goes, he prays, verse 7, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. Verse 1, the foes rise up, and so now he prays that God will rise up even higher in his defence. Now, I don't know what you feel as you hear verse 7 there. Do you sort of want to apologise for it? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Uh, breaking jaws, smashing teeth? Especially when we sort of put that beside Jesus' teaching to, to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek. So, so what do we do with a verse like that? Well, at least five things, uh, five points I can make. Firstly, notice that their mouths are the weapons. They've ridiculed David, they've ridiculed God verbally, and so David's request is, is quite specific. It's that God would silence the, the source of those words, uh, that he'd break the jaw and smash the teeth. Now, secondly, David's actually being chased around the countryside by an army who want to kill him. That's the really dangerous thing. Uh, this is not just people teasing him. Uh, his life is at risk. Uh, and so the defence is proportionate to the attack. So that's a, a second point to consider. Uh, a third point to consider is that King David was actually God's chosen leader for his people. It, it's more than just his own personal safety at stake. That The fate of the nation is uh, at risk here. Enemies need to be defeated, uh, not just for David to escape, but for the nation to be protected. A fourth point to, to sort of help us come to terms with this is that they're not just David's enemies uh, he's, uh, he's seeking personal revenge for. This, these are God's enemies as well. Uh, they've insulted God. And so David's asking, among other things, that God would vindicate himself that God would show these enemies what he's really like. He'd reveal his just and true character. A fifth point we can consider is that David is not seeking revenge himself, but he's actually asking God to bring the justice. It's a plea that God would make things right in his way, in his timing. All of that said, this is a specific situation, isn't it? At a particular point in time... Uh, the Bible describes lots of things uh, without necessarily prescribing that we should do them. It's not a situation we're likely to be involved in. There's no warrant here that we should do the same, that we should pray similar things for human enemies. That said, if there is anything we can learn from this prayer, I wonder if it's that we should be praying against spiritual forces, spiritual enemies, Plenty of those today. We don't have to 
necessarily look in spiritual areas, uh, there are plenty of people against God, speaking against God and his people today. And just in the news recently, there's been a couple of um, uh, stories. The media, false religions, idolatries. Uh, I think it's right that we should pray that those sorts of uh, ideologies and uh, um, organisations should be defeated and silenced and robbed of their power. I think it's right that we should be praying for the defeat of things like the Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill. That's before the New South Wales Upper House at the moment. It would be right for us to pray that that would be silenced, that it would be robbed of its power. So, we come to the final verse of the psalm, verse 8. In Hebrew, it's beautifully brief. To Yahweh, salvation. To your people, your blessing, Selah. The enemies have teased back in verse 2, there is no salvation in God. But David's answer to their teasing is actually to God is salvation. Saving people, that's God's specialty. The enemies say God doesn't save, but that's actually his specialty. He is the saviour. It's it's no one else's job, it's God's job to save. It's this verse that keeps David's prayer, that that violent prayer in verse 7, from being hateful and and just personal vengeance. Because God is the one who brings salvation, who brings deliverance, who delivers justice. Now what all of that means, if it's God's job to bring salvation, that, that we don't have to bring the vengeance We have the freedom to forgive and turn the other cheek because God brings the salvation. God tears down enemies. It's actually a very different mindset to approach conflict to the way the world thinks. The world thinks says you have to stand up for yourself. A newspaper opinion piece a while ago by uh, Sam DeBrito was titled Mock Christians Get Laughs. Mock Muslims get bullets. That was the headline. Uh, And he described a stand-up comedian, Joel Creasy, who, uh, in one of his routines, mocked Hillsong Church and people laughed. And then he compared that speech to one by Nathan Abella from the anti-Islamic Australian Defence League uh, in a YouTube video who mocked Muslims. And then a week later, his home was sprayed with eight bullets in a revenge attack. So he he was writing his article comparing those two speeches. Now, Sam DeBrito, he's far from a supporter of Christianity, but the point he made was that uh, when a comedian can openly make fun of Christianity, it says something good about the free society that we live in in Australia. And he said that that's something Islam doesn't sit comfortably in. But I want to add that it actually says something good about Christians, doesn't it? Uh, We are free to let God take his own action against those who ridicule him. We're free to follow Romans 12, 19 that says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Don't take revenge, leave room for God's wrath. Why? For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. We may not like it when people offend us and insult God, 
but we don't need to stand up for him. God can stand up for himself. Because as David says here, deliverance belongs to God. To God, salvation. That's his domain. It's not our domain. Our domain is to simply receive his blessing. Now that's not a bad deal, is it? He can do the saving. We just get the blessing. Blessing and salvation. Now notice, it's not blessing that says everything will turn out perfectly. That you'll be rescued from that difficult situation you're in. It doesn't say that. David is blessed, but the enemies are still surrounding him. Or, as he describes in Psalm 23, the Lord is his shepherd who leads him as he passes through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't take him out of the valley. He leads him through it and he leads him and he comforts him. God is with him. The blessing, that's the blessing as he goes through the valley. And so you are blessed at the moment. It may not feel like it. It may feel like there's tremendous pressure and difficulty Enemies, pressure on every side, worry that keeps you awake. But God's blessing you. Uh, Search for God's hand. Uh, Make a list of what you can be thankful for. And you'll actually begin to see the blessings. You'll be able to see that God is at work changing you. You'll begin to rest in his power and his goodness and his protection. And sleep can come. And so we come to the final Selah. To Yahweh, salvation, to your people, your blessing, Selah. And as the instruments play, there's a chance to reflect on this wonderful God who despite overwhelming pressures on us, enables us to trust him, who gives us sleep, who protects and shields us in the sleep, whose presence is with us who, and to whom belongs salvation. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon comments on this verse eloquently and not to mention alphabetically. Oh, the love of God, he says, the divine, discriminating, distinguishing, eternal, infinite, immutable love is a subject for constant adoration. So let's adore him. Let's rest in him. Leah is going to come in and pray for us. Thanks, Leah.